You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Day Shift. It's going to be a hot one in Los Angeles. So what's on the agenda today? My eyes are closed. Like every day. What are you doing in my room? Hunting vampires. Is a business. Cut next and cash your checks. Well, things have changed since you got your ass kicked out the union. If I don't come up with 10K, my wife and my daughter are gonna move the floor. Hi, Dad. You're late again. And the union is the only place that could give me that kind of money. Your record is chock full of incidents. But he's a new man. One last chance. This is your final warning. Get crazy. Oh, no! God, help me! Vampires just tried to kill me! Now I just pissed my favorite fucking Hey, 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 everybody pisses themselves the first time. Really? Yeah. Did yeah. you? No, I, no, no, I didn't, but, but listen, you did. You know what I see when I see a van? Big old dollar sign. Hey, hey, don't you puke in here. I swallowed it. Locked and loaded. Vampires. They're the most. And all they are is murdering. It's not eclipse, new moon, breaking dawn point one. It ain't like that, all right? Why do you know the names to all the specific Twilight films? What? And what's your gripe with Breaking Dawn Part 2? It's the exciting conclusion of the whole Twilight saga. Welcome to the day shift, motherfucker. Works every time. All right, everybody, you just listening to the trailer for Day Shift, and the story is as follows. A hardworking dad out to provide his daughter uses a boring pool cleaning job as a front for his real gig, hunting and killing vampires. The film is starring Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, Snoop Dogg, Natasha Liu Bordizzo, Megan Good, Carla Souza, Steve Howey, and Scott Atkins. It is directed by J.J. Perry and written by Tyler Tice and Shay Hatton. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Lauren LaMagna. Hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Will Mavity. Hello, hello, hello. All right, so light week at the box office this weekend. <laughs> Not many things to talk about in terms of new releases. So we're going over to our trusted friends at Netflix who seem to have a movie every week, it seems. And this week, it happened to be this film, Day Shift, uh, with Jamie Foxx killing vampires left and right. Uh, directed by J.J. Perry, who people may not know necessarily as a director because this is his feature directorial debut, but he is an actor and a stuntman. Uh, he's also been a stunt coordinator, and I think a lot of that really shows here, which we'll get into in just a bit. And this is also starring, you know, the Franco that we that we like at the moment, so that's always a plus here. 
you throw in a little Snoop Dogg, and the question then becomes, is this going to be fun, or is this just another one of those Netflix expensive budgeted films that does not land? You know, I'm thinking, of course, of things like Red Notice and countless others over the last couple of years that Netflix has put out. So what do we think of this one? Lauren LaMagna, we'll start off with you. I'm going to start off by saying I think the Netflix original movies are so interesting because they exist kind of in their own world by themselves. It's kind of like an alternate universe. But um, this was unique for me because I knew absolutely nothing about this film, which kind of happens with Netflix original movies. They'll just drop on the site randomly and you're just like, oh, this sounds new. Let's try this. Other than like catching the trailer like on social media or something, there's like little to no promotion for these. Yeah. yeah so it's rare when you know little to nothing about a film. So you're just kind of going and seeing what happens. That's exciting because usually, you know, at least the synopsis of a film. So it was nice to be as fresh or as unaware as one could when it comes to, you know, watching movies today. And I'm a big fan of 8711 or 87 North, which is the production company that made this film. They're run by Chad Sikalski, who does, you know, the John Wick movies, obviously, and David Leach, who just did um, the Brad Pitt movie. Bullet Train. Yeah, Bullet Train. So I'm a fan of these stuntmen, and they do normally create the best action set pieces. Um, All the great stuntmen and stunt coordinators are from this company. They're Again, all in the John Wick movies. They're all in the Marvel movies. Um, everyone wants to employ them. So when I see an 87-11 film being made, I get interested because I know those action set pieces are going to be great. So I kind of watched this film through the action lens. And I think this film, it's the only way I could describe it is like it's a very you know Netflix original movie. I think it's fine if you compare it in that sort of lens where... It kind of, you find enjoyment in it, but it is, you know, very forgetful. Sometimes the jokes don't land. It's an interesting premise, but it's not a new premise. I think Jamie Foxx is a really charismatic lead, and he makes the story worthwhile and makes the time worthwhile. Um, from an action perspective, um, some of it's good. I feel like there weren't, there wasn't enough action. We you know when you think 8711, you do think a lot of action, and there was probably like two or three set pieces, and most of them were good, but I feel like it could have been better. But it's overall enjoyable. But again, it's very much, you know, a Netflix original movie where, you know, you're entertained to some part, but it definitely could have been a lot better if it was somewhere else, in my opinion. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Will Mavity, we'll kick it over to you next. Yeah, I have to say I was not a huge fan of this. And and like you, uh, Lauren, I do love that production company, but this was probably my least favorite of anything they've put out so far. I actually really think it's a fun concept of having like a union that you have to work with if you want to kill vampires and obviously all the red tape and bureaucracy. I think that's a fun concept. But the film doesn't really do much with that and just kind of settles in for its action sequences. And the action sequences are good, but they're not as good as in something like John Wick. And uh, I think there's, you know, it might be something about Netflix, you know, dramas have a wonderful aesthetic often, but, you know, their, their blockbusters don't necessarily always look as wonderful. And this, I was shocked, cost $100 because I thought it had a pretty terrible aesthetic. 
I visually, you know, I thought the color correction was pretty ugly, and I thought the CGI at times was shockingly bad for a $100 million movie. I found myself bored often, which for a movie like this, it's weird when it's meant to be mindless fun that you can have periods where it's just not fun either. It's just, it exists. So, you know, there were aspects I liked of it. I kind of liked Dave Franco in this, you know, really digging into the character that he was in 21 Jump Street and taking it a step further. But there was potential here that just felt entirely untapped and it just ended up being another generic action film. Not a huge fan. All righty, Josh Parm. Yeah, my overall thoughts on this movie are basically that it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I didn't hate it. And actually, I think overall, it's rather passable as a kind of horror action comedy. Like, I, I had a good enough time with it. I do think that the stunt sequences are rather impressive. There are some good set pieces here. I think Jamie Foxx is a capable lead. I think Dave Franco is also pretty fun in his supporting role. But overall, I also just think the movie... For one thing, I, I think the biggest issue that I have with it is that its world building felt pretty lacking to me. I kind of felt like, as you said, Will, there's sort of this interesting idea about this union that's involved and, and working with that bureaucracy. But I feel like we only get very broad details about that. And it feels like that should be the stuff that makes this world feel a little bit more interesting and creative. And we don't really get that. We don't we certainly don't get that with the villains plot, which I found to be very boring and very bland. And the villain herself is also very um, not interesting at all. She's really not uh, creatively executed, I found. So, uh, yeah, the movie is just not particularly it's not particularly interesting from a storytelling perspective, but like as a general action comedy, it's like fine. And I had a good enough time with it, but it's not anything special by the slightest. So I definitely am aligned with a lot of what's being said here. I had very low expectations heading into this. I mean, like bottom of the barrel, essentially. I didn't even really want to watch it, if I'm being completely honest with you all. It's just not the kind of movie I'm interested in at this point in time, especially as we head into, you know, the fall film festival season. But August is uh, pretty light on new releases uh, up until September. So, you know, we're taking what we can get at this time. So I think that did help with just overall enjoyment. And I agree with Josh that most of that stemmed from the cast and the action in this movie. Uh, the gore elements, too, I found to be uh, pretty over the top and a lot of fun at times. The humor, uh, take it or leave it. I mean, you know, some of it worked, some of it didn't work. Uh, and I agree completely about the storytelling and the world building. I mean, especially from the villain standpoint, I mean, all of that was just not compelling whatsoever. However, I actually do think that what the movie was trying to do with framing essentially um, the whole plot around this union and kind of poking fun at, you know, the union dues and the things that, you know, all the rules that are in place, I actually found that part to be pretty funny in a satirical sort of way. Uh, but overall, I was pretty mixed on this movie for the most part. I mean, I think we can all agree, though, that, you know, Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco are surprisingly a pretty good combination in this movie when you're pairing up somebody that's a little bit more straight and serious versus someone that's obviously uh, hamming it up a bit more with Dave Franco. Well, and that's the intended 
dynamic between the two of them. You know, it's your classic, you know, straight man, funny man sort of setup. And like, I think they're good together. I wouldn't say they have like amazing chemistry or that it's the best. No, 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 no. But yeah, I mean, they work well enough together. And I think on their own, they hold up the movie uh, successfully. It's just not amazing work. But yeah, it's suitable for the film. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Jamie Foxx in this movie was giving me um, confident third act Django vibes (laughs) where he's just like so self-assured in everything that he's doing and knows this world and knows exactly what he needs to do in order to survive. And I, I got to admit, like seeing, I, maybe it's because I just rewatched Django Unchained recently for our 2012 retrospective, but I like seeing him very much in this mode where he's the capable uh, type who gets physical and just kicks some ass in a very charismatic way. <laughs> yeah, he is honestly a good movie star actor that I don't think consistently got the roles that best showcased his abilities post Oscar win. Cause I, I do agree with you in both this and Django. I do really like seeing him in these roles. And I think most of the reason that this film was even like passable for me was the fact that he he's a solid lead. And like, I'm going to be honest, the dialogue's pretty terrible. It's clunky. It's exposition written, riddled and um, like really like intro to screenwriting exposition delivery bad. And uh, the humor didn't land usually for me, kind of like you said, Matt. He is charismatic and he sells it. Uh, And I don't know that a lot of actors necessarily could have elevated this to even passable the way he does. I mean, when you have lines like, I'm a changed man, I've cut out pork, cartoons, and minimal white woman, like, come on. (laughs) No, it does take a talent to elevate a type of script like this, which, again, they're not saying that much. It's really fun, turn-your-brain-off type of entertainment. So the fact that you could have a leading man be, as Will said, charismatic and have this swagger where he has this confidence and this charm that it makes the film enjoyable because if it's given to the wrong actor, this movie is so boring and it's not enjoyable at all. And you just probably don't even want to get past the 30 minute mark. But since Fox is in this role and he has this, yeah, this swagger where, you know, he has been in this world, he knows this world and he's just like walking in the park nonchalantly. It makes it much more entertaining and it adds another layer to the character. And uh, I was joking about this with Will before we hopped on the recording here, but we were talking about like Dave Franco and 21 Jump Street, which was 10 years ago, and how funny it is that 10 years later, it doesn't look like the guy has aged or necessarily like changed at all. I, it, like it just feels 
very much like you know this was made directly right after and he hasn't skipped a beat and like he's ageless <laughs> he's a keanu reeves 2.0 i mean i just feel like he's going to be you know 18 years old for the rest of his life <laughs> And he's good in the movie, too. Like, I would actually say I found him to be even slightly more compelling than Jamie Foxx, who, like, is good, but is very much, I think, in a more narrow lane in terms of what that performance can be. And because Franco is the more so the comedic relief, I think that allows him to be a little bit more captivating when he's on screen. And for that reason, I found that Whenever there were points of the humor that did work, which I agree with the sentiment that the humor is mostly like hit or miss and kind of <laughs> lean mostly on the miss side for me. But whenever it did hit, almost all of that were instances with Franco to me. I mean, most of the buddy comedy shtick didn't work for me, but I really, really liked it, especially when Dave Franco has, um, I'll just say, a transformative moment yeah. <laughs> towards the uh, end, towards the end of the second act, and I thought that he was having so much fun with it that it was pretty irresistible. Oh yeah, that was that was fun when he got to play even more with that character. Yeah, I mean there were some, <laughs> I'll just say there were some makeup effects, and then also too like he gets very um, instead of amped, can I say vamped? <laughs> Is that appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> I just like I, I really appreciated the level of enthusiasm that he brought to this. And that's always nice because especially with some of these movies, like you can tell when an actor is like contractively obligated to be in these types of movies and they're just not, there's not mentally there. So when you see an actor actually enjoy what they're doing and like not taking themselves too seriously and just having fun, for me personally, that makes the viewing experience so much better because, you know, if they're having fun, I'm going to have fun. And if they're not putting, like if they're putting in, you know, hundred percent and just going with it i think it's a so much more fun viewing experience and i think he's just having the time of his life and just being chill and loose and that makes for it and i think he's low-key the best part of this film actually my favorite part was snoop dogg <laughs> you know the oh, yeah, best snoop. part of every movie is snoop dogg if he true <laughs> i just like that he so calmly with such swagger in in such a non-assuming way just he arrives on set in costume in character and it's like the guy just radiates cool you know and he doesn't have much to do in this movie but when he does it's just so perfectly utilized because they don't overexpose him i think they use him just the right amount to where he brings that presence to it that just instantly makes the movie uh that much more hip and cool at the same time and I found, you know, like pretty much almost every moment with him in this movie to be either intentionally funny as they were intending it to be, or he just kind of, like I said, elevated the, you know, quote unquote, cool presence of it all. Yeah, I don't know if uh, in character was used very much for him. It seemed like he was... (laughs) I, I don't think the role is like that much of a stretch in terms of his acting abilities. Oh, oh no, no, no. I didn't mean it like that. No. There's one shot. He's visibly high, too. Yeah, film. yeah. But overall, like, yes, he is a very fun presence in this movie. And he's not in it a lot, but I would actually argue that they use him strategically in this film. And yeah, when he does show up, it is a very fun time for sure. Yeah. So going back to something that you said before, Josh, uh, the villain in this movie played by Carla Souza what a weak motivation. I, I, I was very kind of like taken aback by how 
little effort was really put into not only her character, but also to, uh, as Will illustrated earlier, you know, her presence in the movie brings about some more of the visual effects work. And it's just like all the worst parts of the movie kind of converging uh, whenever she becomes like a focal point, unfortunately. Yeah, genuinely, like I know it's a cliche in these kind of movies to have world ending stakes and maybe they wanted to avoid that. But I don't know, man. Give me something about like the the idea that they uh, the vampires can walk in the day, you know, that's just kind of addressed like, oh, yeah, there's a sunscreen they can use that, you know, there, there's nothing big that the vampires are planning. And it was odd. They go out of their way to basically say, like, she's not an important villain. Uh, at one point, Snoop Dogg is like, is she El Jefe? And he's like, no, not even close or something, you know, and it's um, it's like, OK, so she's just like a villain of the week. That's what you're saying. I guess you want to open the door for a sequel there. But yeah, I mean, I. I get you want the personal revenge angle, but that also isn't explored much. Yeah, you know, I like the idea, like an evil realtor moving lots of vampires in, but that's not really part of her plan. It's I love the premise of this movie in that regard. Like, I love the initial setup, and I actually thought that if the writing was able to kind of like dive a little bit deeper into these initial ideas that were presented on a macro level that this could have been more interesting but on a micro level for this particular character and her motivation you're right will like it doesn't play into uh the union stuff it doesn't really play into the real estate uh aspect that they bring up here and it kind of just comes down to like a personal motivation and i just i I was not compelled by that whatsoever I, i really found her to be just a very weak antagonist overall and maybe you're right maybe they were trying to subvert expectation just a little bit here and make it somewhat surprising but there really wasn't a good enough uh, setup for there to be uh this payoff that i think they were hoping for no it felt very shallow to me and you know, when you make a movie like this, you do have to really set up your rules and the rules of the world and what the motivations of all these characters are. And when it came to the main villain, yeah, it just felt like it was so broadly painted that it didn't really feel unique for me to get really invested in. And yeah, I I like a villain with a good real estate plan as much as the next person, but that never really felt explored all that much. And the overall plan that she was going for how she fit within the entire hierarchy of these other vampires and what that was really going to mean like those are stuff and that's details that you need to include in your story to make it feel lived in and textured and it just felt like it was very surface level and i needed more digging into that for me to become really invested in the story they were trying to tell yeah i agree even the um like the underground like black market of selling things. Like I thought that was a really cool idea, but we never really got all the way in. And vampires, they're a cool subject. Everyone likes them. And I love that lore and I love, you know, how there's different types of vampires here and like why there's different types and what they can and cannot do. But yeah, it's kind of like what Will said, like screenwriting 101. It's kind of like these guys went into Netflix and said, we want Jamie Foxx to beat up a lot of vampires. And then Netflix was like, okay, so like, what's the story that makes Jamie Foxx beat up the vampires? And they kind of just like circled around that. And they just did the most like minimal 
plot ever. And yeah, it leaves a lot to be desired, but the seeds are there. They just never nourish it. Yeah. Like there's also another element where I was kind of unclear about how much are vampires like known and there's vampires like yeah they were hyper aggressive and like growling and stuff i'm like i've never seen vampires portrayed this way in movies before yeah and like obviously there is this secret i guess institution because it doesn't seem like normal humans know about vampire hunters but it's like how long have vampires been around how much are they really known are they attributed to something else when they make the news and it's like Again, details that would help me connect to this larger world and make me more invested, but they're just really absent. It, as Lauren said, it just felt like we want a movie where Jamie Foxx kills vampires. It's like, okay, that's fine, but I still need to know like how this world operates. And it just felt like they gave me the very basic information and didn't put in the effort to actually make it more creative. Now, something that I did like about this movie, as I said earlier, though, was when it came to the action, the stunt choreography and the gore, that's where the movie was the most fun for me. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with what Lauren was bringing up uh, earlier, which is the production company behind this movie. This is what they specialize in. This is what they are expected to, to deliver. And I've been seeing a lot of reactions to this movie from other people who caught it uh, over the weekend here. And I think they're all like reflecting very similar sentiments in terms of, you know, the wire work, um, the practical effects and anything to do with uh, the hand to hand coordination with uh, some of the fight sequences. I mean, it, it's pretty, pretty fun at times. Well, that house scene is the best. Scene yeah, that's the, the best one. Yeah. yeah, by far. And I'm kind of low key annoyed that most of these vampires are zombie vampires because that hurts the stunt team because that makes because there's like undead. They don't do that much. So that kind of makes the stunt people like not go as full out as they would, you know, in a John Wick movie or if they were just like normal vampires. But still, when you get to that, um, that house scene or even the final scene where they actually do get to fight and not just be like undead vampires, that's when it gets really, really fun. I mean, even in the opening scene when uh, Bud is fighting the, uh, the older vampire woman and the moment that she like starts spitting out like buckets of blood from her mouth i was so taken aback because i didn't i like lauren i kind of went into this cold and i had no idea what to expect necessarily so that was like a shocking moment for me where i just like leaned forward and was like okay all right it's 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 that type of movie let's go (laughs) and there were like other moments like that too where i think that the bright vibrant colors of like depicting la and almost like this neo-noir like western type of vibe also lends itself well to the type of like action genre that they're going for here. And I do think that they have a good amount of fun with it. There's one particular moment that I oh my it's so ridiculous, but there's a part where like a knife like spins multiple times around uh, one of the vampire's throats and like severs its head. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like funny. I, I don't know who the stunt coordinator is on this film, but it's they know how to make the action funny like they know exactly the genre that they're doing and especially it, it might actually just be jj perry to be honest with you <laughs> it definitely could be like he definitely could do it but like even just comparing this to prey which came out a couple weeks ago which was gory but more in the horror genre this is gory but in the comedic genre and they know how to choreograph these types of movements but still make it ridiculous and funny which i think is really cool and a testament to you know 87 11 so we we all agree that when Steve Howie and Scott Atkins uh, get introduced here, uh, that's that's like the high point of the movie. That whole sequence oh, in the yeah. house. Yeah, that's that sequence is awesome. I do want to give one shout out 
I'm always a fan. This is morbid, but I'm always a fan of like creative deaths in movies. And um, I just thought that there's one early on method. They don't really. You, this goes back to the villain. Uh, they don't really touch on her plan at all. But the idea of burying a vampire alive in cement who will never die is like uniquely horrible and creative. I want to give a shout out to that because that's the kind of thing where I was just like, ooh, ooh, like you think about it, like he's never going to die. He's just going to be stuck in cement for 200 years. They get props for that as well, like a non-gory, quote unquote, kill that's going to stick with me for a bit. That is very creative for sure. I just wish there was more stuff like that in the movie, though, uh, because for the most part, like the kills are fun to watch, but they're still rather basic i would say outside of that big house raid sequence with the nazarian brothers because i think that is very clearly the the sequence that i think has the most effort and thought put into it and it just feels like that's the one where they said okay this is our big crazy stunt scene we need to make sure all this is very clean and creative and fun and that definitely is the highlight of the movie for me (laughs) those characters also feel like an attempt for a spinoff later down the road, sort of like what they did with the Snyder film and that mm-hmm. safe cracker. It kind of felt like that was the reason for their introduction to sort of I'm... test the waters for a spinoff, which I wouldn't mind because they are a highlight of this film for sure. I'd watch it. Lauren, Lauren, don't be giving them any ideas. You know, they're already at the drawing board right now trying to figure <laughs> out on, what to do with this. It. When he like threw the bullet and then he caught it in the gun sh- and then shot it. That was a cool moment. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I mean, Will was saying before, how could a hundred million dollar film like this also like have such shoddy visual effects work? I got to be honest with you all. Does anybody know what Jamie Foxx's asking price is nowadays? I mean, Netflix original movies are so weird to me because they cost all this money for like all of them for some reason. And then they look pretty normal. And then like you would look up the budget and you're just shocked. Like, I think this is more like this is 100 million. What were the first John Wicks? Like, 40? Not to mention, too, I mean, I watched something like this, and the, the, the number one thing that like, I thought of in terms of what this looks like from a production value standpoint, I would equate it to something like maybe The Boys on Amazon Prime. Oh, I think The Boys yeah, looks the boys is, this. The Boys is pretty gray. But, like, this also, it's, with the exception of, like, the the Union interior, the production design is weak. Like, I assumed it was super low budget because they're using these, like, uh, tiny indie uh, film techniques to avoid having, like, uh, building their own frozen yogurt set. You know, they're just very carefully cropping out, like, the yogurt, the land in yogurt land you know, when they uh, they go there, they've just clearly set up in like a yogurt land for the day. You know, things like that. I assume this was like a by the seat of your pants production and it just everything about it. It's just ugly to look at. It's not just the color correction. It's I don't know. I was I was pretty shocked. Like it looked cheap. I don't know, I think it looked like a Netflix movie to me. <laughs> I, I'm going to take back my comment I said, too, about The Boys. Actually, that was a dis- that was a disservice to The Boys. <laughs> yeah, The Boys looks pretty, The Boys looks solid, you know. And- I think what I was getting at, though, was that this looks like a, an expensive television show, not a movie. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Again, I, I feel like there's a lot of Netflix movies. Josh is right, yeah, they all look, it looks like a Netflix movie, uh, which is weird because they all cost like four times as much as they should. 
which is why I'm like wondering how much of that 100 million is like Jamie Foxx's salary because I don't know the numbers are just not adding up for me and I know Dave Franco is not getting that you know what maybe it was Snoop Dogg Snoop Dogg was like <laughs> I'll do it for 50 mil like <laughs> and that was all the weed budget for Snoop <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get over to final thoughts here so final thoughts on day shift uh let's pass it over first to Lauren LaMagna History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Um, I think it's fun. I think something that I think it's fun. I think it's funny. I think it is a turn your brain off movie. You could have fun with it, particularly if you're not sober. I think it could be fun with your friends. But yeah, as Will said, this might be the weakest 8711 film. And I don't like saying that it's the weakest 8711 film. But um, you find some enjoyment in it. But at the end of the day, it is a forgetful Netflix movie, unfortunately. All right. Josh Parm. Um, I think the only other thing that I would want to mention is that there is somebody else in this cast, uh, Eric Lang, who is like their boss figure at the union who was mm. given Jamie Foxx a hard time. Like, I don't think that character is like all that great, but I just do like Eric Lang in general. He's sort of becoming a, a character actor that I do like. Uh, people might remember him from Escape from Danamora. He was uh, Patricia Arquette's husband in that. And he's shown up in quite a few things. And he's always sort of a fun presence, even when the role itself isn't all that great. He does have a particular screen presence that I do find compelling. So I just want to shout him out more roles for Eric Lane. Cause he's always sort of a, a nice uh, addition to any movie that I see him in. Like I said, even when the material itself isn't all that great. I had a very similar moment while watching this when I did the Leo point and I was like, Peter Stormare, I see Peter. Yeah. He shows up too. <laughs> and uh, obviously Megan good, you know, she, I love her. Give her more to do, please. Yeah. She's got nothing to do in this movie. I mean, outside of that, like, I just feel like the movie is fine. You know, like, I didn't I didn't hate it, but it just doesn't really have anything to make it really unique or interesting. But it really is like the definition of passable. Like, if you're coming through Netflix, you're looking for something kind of disposable but fun to watch, which maybe a $100 million movie should aim for something better than that. But just as it is, like, I, you'll have a fine time with it. I don't think it's terrible. It is watchable, but it's just not as Lauren said, memorable. Okay. Will Mavity. So I wanted to uh, mention, it's funny. You said, it seems like they're setting up those guys for a spinoff. This is co-written by the guys who wrote the spinoff for army of the dead. 
Oh, Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I I just I wasn't a tremendous fan of this, as you said. It's it's passable fun. I, you know, it's it's not the it's not the worst of the Netflix original blockbusters. I enjoyed it at times, but I really like this production company. And honestly, even something like Bullet Train that's more divisive, I I had fun with. And I love Nobody and Atomic Blonde is fun. So I I was kind of just bummed by how bleh this is, especially because other than that house fight scene, even you know even the stunts aren't that impressive. You know, there's like a car chase scene. I was like, honestly, man, Barry did this better on like a quarter of the budget a few weeks ago. Uh, so it, it was a pretty it was a pretty big letdown. I actually like the trailer. I like its world. But this just was missed opportunities across the board. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty mixed on this one overall. I'm still like wrestling with a final grade, which I'll have ready here in just a second. I have a couple other notes I just want to say really quick here. Um, Look at this photograph. It makes me laugh. <laughs> the Nickelback and the fact he's really into Twilight. I, I, I did like the bit of yeah. he lists all the Twilight movies except Breaking Dawn Part 2. I lulled at the Nickelback moment, but the Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Part 2 bit I actually got annoyed by because oh, come on. Dave Franco makes the argument that Breaking Dawn Part 2 is better and he says it's because that's when um bella like has the baby and i'm like dude that's part one what are you talking about so <laughs> they got the logic wrong there and that really annoyed me because i actually like part one and i've defended part one of breaking dawn but breaking dawn part two no no no, no, no. breaking dawn part two that's where they have the i thought the, that's the, the battle breaking part yeah the, the battle yeah, the fake the out kill moment the less i say about that the better there are audio commentary tracks that exist <laughs> for those okay so you can go and listen to those to hear my live reactions in the moment you watch them all in a day <laughs> the car chase scene with the daughter in the car and on, on her ipad like playing mario kart i actually thought was a funny idea in theory but execution wise it, it didn't work for me and i think just because i found the the idea of her playing the game like in the car while he's actually having this crazy like car chase sequence it, it was too silly for me honestly like that was a moment where i just kind of it pulled me out of the movie and in a movie like this where it should have some leeway to to be silly uh that should not happen well, and then it also is completely abandoned, like halfway through the scene. It's like they're done with it. And it's like, OK, we're just going to keep going on with the action scene. So it's like they sort of set it up as a way to shield her from the danger. But then it's like, well, she just sort of accepts it and rolls with it. And it's like, OK, why would we even do that in the first place? It just felt kind of a weird thing to introduce. Right. Yeah, I liked it until she finished the game and then gave her dad directions on where to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, honey, you're eight. Um, I do like that Jamie Foxx was given a Mike Tyson joke in this movie. I thought that was pretty funny. There's also a Crockett Tubbs joke, which that was also <laughs> weird to me. Because <laughs> that's the, you know, the characters from Miami Vice for people that yeah. don't know. <laughs> oh, no, 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 absolutely. Heavy, heavy Miami Vice. Uh, there was also like a little bit of a, uh, it's funny how like this movie, I feel like almost wanted to be set in Florida, but they set it in LA instead. Yeah. <laughs> West Side for life. Um... <laughs> And then the last thing I'll say, too, is that the final kill of this movie where the wire cuts off somebody's head, I thought was actually particularly well done. And it was a good callback to something that was introduced earlier. And uh, I just once again, like the gore element of it all. I thought that was pretty well done. 
they had the Lost Boys reference too. You know, Snoop's final scene where he's like, yeah. the thing I hate about LA the most, all the damn vampires. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, I mean, for a final grade for me here with Day Shift, um, you know, like I enjoyed it for the most part, but not enough to give it like a full recommendation. Um, I'm going to give it a five out of ten on this one. Lauren, what about you? Yeah, I'm teetering between a five or a six because it's it's forgettable. I'm not going to remember it by the end of the year. But um, I'm not I have to be honest and say I did laugh. I did find some moments enjoyable. Um so for that, I think I'm going to give it a six with friends. Like, don't watch it alone. Watch it with friends. And then it's a six. I like that we, we have, like, you know, a with friends rating. Yeah, like five <laughs> alone with friends, six. Josh Parham. Uh, I'm also going to give it a six out of ten. It's sort of a weak six. It's not, like, something I would defend passionately, quite obviously. But, like, it it's a fun enough time. Like, it is rather forgettable. But... In the moment, I did have enough of a good time with it that I didn't find it to be like a complete waste. It's not great. It's not impactful at all. But if you're just looking for a disposable action comedy with some horror elements in it, like it's it's fine. That That's basically what I'm coming to with it. Will Mavity? Yeah, I, I was going back and forth. Um I don't usually give tens, but I, I think probably this is that. So I'm I'm gonna go with ten out of ten. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, best it's, picture it's a, nominee. Yeah, I, I was thinking, are we gonna do awards prospects after this? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a five for me. All right, and so in case you all didn't realize, yeah, no, no awards potential. Nope. <laughs> Sorry to the makeup crew. Nah. Sorry to those people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, their work was fine, but, like, yeah, this movie's not coming anywhere near that kind of a conversation. I mean, Dave Franco's prosthetic head will exist somewhere in the museum for all eternity, and that's all that matters. (laughs) Be in the Academy Museum, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was a CGI head the entire time. I don't know. It was a marvel. (laughs) In any event, though. Uh, Will Mavity, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Lauren LaMagna. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren LaMango. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Day Shift here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. 
and our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes. We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.